Hello, do you like New Japan Pro Wrestling? Are you a Shin Nihon freak? If so, check out the Super Jcast with Joel and Damon on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. And even if you fucking hate New Japan Pro Wrestling, listen to the Super Jcast anyway. Not just for our great show reviews, analysis, and pastrami sandwiches, mm-hmm. but there's also usually some dick jokes somewhere in the obligatory opening 30 minutes of absolute nonsense we chat about every single week. That's the Super Jcast for all the best talk about New Japan Pro Wrestling, crisps, and pornography. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Na 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 na, na 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 na, hey hey hey, goodbye. Suck it, CM Punk. You were gone from this damn company. <laughs> Welcome to the Good, the Bad, and the Hungry. I'm your host Tyler Fornis. With me, as always, Fred. Eleven days since the last workplace incident, Moreland. Fred, we are finally going to be rid of talking about Cookie Monster Punk after this show. And let me tell you, it feels great. Uh, be careful what you uh, say, because there's still the possibility that there's going to be more news coming out of this. It has been a tremendously quiet week, but do not uh, do not forget that we'll have to cover any drama that happens after the fact, after uh, his release. So yeah, I can deal with drama not, from other people dealing with like the fallout. He won't be the catalyst anymore. He, we won't be actually talking about him doing something stupid. We won't be talking about him pushing somebody in the workplace or threatening someone or being a nuisance backstage or trying to corner the young bucks. Punk is gone. And we can finally rejoice. All Out was almost like a healing show. And it felt great. And we're going to talk so much about it. But let's, let's kind of break down everything that happened. Saturday afternoon... I'm driving to go play mini golf with the wife and she won't hear this. So I can actually say it. I was very upset that cause I wanted to watch uh, South Florida versus Western Kentucky, but I mm. pull it into the golf course. So it's like a sculpture garden. Like it's, it's kind of got like uh like sculptures within the, within the holes. So yeah. it's kind of a cool little gimmick, but I pull in and I pull up the slack and all I see is um, Joe Lanza putting, uh, CM Punk fired with cause. I'm like, what? Yeah. And it's just like, oh my God, we finally got what we wanted. And the Tony Khan, look, we've talked a lot about Tony Khan needing to take control of his company. He, based on everything we know, the outwardly facing information, he sent Punk and Perry home. He waited for an internal investigation and he took his outside counsel's advice Fired Punk with cause based on this incident and every other incident, which we will uh, lay out here, at least the ones that we know. And there's a high possibility we missed one or two because there's been so many of them. And they all recommended that he be fired with cause. And when a lot of lawyers say you should be fired with cause, Punk could try and sue. But I, I don't think it'll go anywhere. And the one thing that was really impressive to me about this whole situation, Fred, he 
went out in front of a Chicago crowd and took the heat and spoke from the heart and took it all. He knew he was going to get it. He let them give it to him. And we did find out that after that intro to Collision, over 75,000 viewers stopped watching immediately because oh, Punk is not going to be on the show. Um, that That's come from some WrestleNomics, so you know it's legit. Yeah. Oh, my God. It's, it's Khan is taking control of this company based on everything we know. And he he took all the heat. He said, hey, I had to do it. This is why. Best wishes. He didn't have to do that. He didn't have to go in front of a Chicago crowd and say, hey, I fired your hero. But he did. He didn't have to tape a vignette where he looks like he's being held at gunpoint. It's just so, they're so weird because he just feels so uncomfortable doing them. But he did. And good for him. Good for him for finally doing what we believed was the right thing for months, getting rid of cancer. Yeah. Now that um, that 75,000 number is really notable because the overall viewership for uh, Collision on average was 345,000. So like that is a tremendous chunk of what the audience would have been. I doubt those uh, 75 would have stayed throughout the show, but still it's uh, very interesting. Um, yeah. Um, and collisions is going to get ravaged by college football as the season goes on, but you know, that's nothing new. Um, very obviously this is arguably the, this is the biggest AW story since probably, uh, uh, brawl in, I guess. I was going to say CM Punk's return, but I think it's probably not as big as as Brawl in at this point. Um, what a run! That what a uh, three month return to the company. <laughs> oh God! Um, speed. Talk about speed running your uh, your exit. Um, <laughs> that's that's good. That's good, uh, man. Let's talk about different interesting things about this. First of all, in that uh, press release, you know, and it's been talked about some since then, but, I, you know, one of those things that I picked up on immediately is that the first sentence is All Elite Wrestling, AEW, has terminated the wrestler and employment agreements between Philip Brooks, CM Punk, and AEW with cause effective immediately. That uh, agreements, specifically st- uh, specifying wrestler and em- employment, was very interesting because uh, that pretty obviously indicates that uh, Punk was under some kind of deal beyond just being a wrestler. Um, now, was that just like a sweetheart position or was that like a way to compensate him for, you know, uh, any kind of creative input he had or anything like that? I don't know. It could have been a dummy position for benefits. We 100%. Yeah. But it was uh, something else other than just being a, a wrestler. Yeah, and it's very interesting um, to me that, that, you know, we finally have some confirmation that it was more than just Punk as a wrestler beyond, like, him saying, I'm trying to run a business here at a Brawl In, this press conference, or, you know, all that stuff. Um, 
So other news here just to talk about with this whole situation, uh, Tony Khan, when he did his thing on collision said that it was the, his, the first time at a wrestling show and all the years he's gone to them that he was afraid for his well-being and his life. And he also, also mentioned being concerned for the well-being of people like production staff and other non-wrestlers like guests. I think he also mentioned uh, Melis reported that there's video cameras all over backstage of Wembley. Um, and also that where this incident happened is an area commonly used for interviews for soccer games. So most likely there was extensive footage of this. Um, and then Meltzer on his uh, radio show said that, uh, or Observer Radio, not really a radio show, said that the uh, neutral statement, uh, the statement from the neutral observer that he published in the last Observer issue is probably the most accurate of any description of what happened from what he had heard. So let's go through that real quick. Okay. Uh, this is a, a verbatim quote from last week's Wrestling Observer newsletter. Uh, another version, and, and I'm going to read this to you with all the Dave Meltzerisms intact because that's part of the experience. Uh, another version of this would be a neutral source who was not a wrestler but was there and witnessed it, and his version was that right after Perry came to the back, Punk went nose-to-nose -nose with him aggressively and asked if he had a problem. That person said Perry said he was just looking to get heat as a heel. Punk shoved him hard, Perry got in his face, and in that version, Punk sucker-punched him and went for a choke. People immediately broke it up, and Khan was yelling at Punk to let him go. That person said that once they were separated, Punk lunged in Khan's direction, but a number of people got in his way while Punk was yelling, I quit. Monitors were knocked down during all of this. Samoa Joe was very upset and went to calm Punk down. And, uh, and then Meltzer also said that when he said Punk lunged at Khan, that that was an understatement, that we did not specify what would have been more accurate. Um... And also, uh, Meltzer made it sound like that uh, on Punk's return, that Punk signed a new contract that made it be made it clear that he would be fired if he basically started another fight or other nonsense like this. Um, and as one side note to this whole situation, a steal is still with AW. There's absolutely no news on that situation changing. Um, I expect he'll probably be there until the end of his contract. Um, will it be just like partitioned off to? you know, go play mini golf or whatever for the rest of his contract possible. But, you know, I doubt he'll get fired uh, for anything new. Um, so, yeah, um, I think, you know, what this means. And, of course, uh, the firing uh, for cause means that uh, CM Punk is not going to get paid whatever was due to him on the re remnant of the contract he was on uh, or contracts he was on. So I think that's uh, pretty indicative of how comfortable AEW felt about making this move. Um, I don't think there's a shred of concern about this backfiring on them, basically. Um, and I think it's, uh, I don't know, what a what an end to an era. And an error, if you will. Um Fred, Fred, the era of CM Punk couldn't have come to any different of an end. It it, it just felt it, inevitable, especially after his return when like stuff just kept happening. It seemed like every week. And it not only that, but th then you have the reports coming out of potentially him trying to get fired and him hating it. And something got leaked over the course of the last week that 
he had tried to go to WWE at, yeah. as early yeah. as December. When he was still under contract, uh, like a brain genius. Um, but yeah, he tried to you know reach out to them and be like, hey, uh, would y'all like to hire me so I can quit this place? Um, and I think WWE either just didn't respond or like, you know, we're good right now. Um, yeah, I, uh, that is very interesting. And, you know, I, I don't think there'll be any like outright lawsuits or anything over it, but that is a potential, you know, contract tampering situation for WWE. Um, if they made any serious inquiry, well, not even inquiries, like you can ask if someone's under contract, but if you try to woo them over, that would be a, a different situation. Um, just something to keep in your, the back of your mind, I think. Um, but yeah, this is just, you know, if you wanted out, you could have just quit. <laughs> just the yeah. thing. You well, could have I... just said, I don't want to come back, man. I think the reason why, and this is just me speculating, because I, I want that to be clear, because we just there's so much we don't know, and there's so much that we can kind of look between the lines and try and figure out. One thing that I believe is that he was trying to get fired with cause, so he didn't have to have a, uh, a wait period, where he didn't have a like a 90 day or like, let's say hypothetically he had a five-year contract. Tony Khan's like, yeah, I'll let you out. You can't wrestle anywhere for five until the duration of the contract is done, but I'm not going to pay you because you are quitting the company. He has that leverage and he has every right to be able to do that. That is one of the reasons why Malachi black had initially asked out from his contract. And I believe it was reported at the time that uh, Tony was like, yeah, but, I'm going to put a show cause on it and you can't go wrestle anywhere on television. Well, you can't wrestle on television as a professional wrestler. That's going to be really hard to get bookings and make money. So he, he had every right to be able to do that. But if you get fired with cause more often than not, they're not going to put a show cause or anything on your con uh, on that termination agreement where you can't go work somewhere else because we're firing you with cause. That is usually a black stain for other companies to say, I don't want to hire you. Now, GCW will, but they're not going to pay the, the, the booking fee that Punk is going to be asking for. Impact might, but... If they have the it, money and if he yeah. wants to work there. Yeah, especially because Punk got fired back in, I think, 04 or 05, and you can go listen to You Gotta Be Kidding Me on the same podcast network, and I believe they have all the details on one of their oh, shows. They do. Oh, of course they do. It's Garrett Kidney. Yeah. Garrett Kidney is the smartest person about one singular subject in professional wrestling, and that is total nonstop action. Um, and it, as we put over our friends, it's Punk was trying to get out without having that clause, and he got it. But he also doesn't get paid anymore. He could have just went in there, been a good soldier, made millions upon millions of dollars over the next three, four years, everybody would have been happy and he could retire at 50 multimillionaire, never have to do anything again. He could just sit in his apartment with Larry, with uh, AJ Lee, his wife and have fun. But no, he couldn't do that. He had to be CM Punk. CM Punk is CM Punk's own worst enemy. 
and here we are. It, it was pretty incredible. One of the, my favorite things to come from this, Fred, and I don't know if you saw this, and I don't know if you can hear the dogs in the background. I definitely like, can. <laughs> oh, that's that's Eclair. She's she's just so happy. Um, on Monday, Hangman Page tweeted out an Instagram story. Happy Labor Day. Yep. Just great stuff. And all out, everybody had their working boots on. We had a phenomenal pay-per-view with a card that was kind of lackluster and lacked real build. Oh, boy, did they deliver. You can never doubt a Tony Khan pay-per-view. AEW is going to have the best matches they can on pay-per-view. I mean, that's always the safe part of it. I, I still think it's fair to criticize the uh, the build to it to some extent because it did feel kind of eh, you know, in certain parts. But okay, so let's uh, let's go over some other news. Sean Ross Sapp. I don't know what audio he did, but he did audio and he basically burnt CM Punk as a source. Now let's let's let me break this down. This is kind of a synopsis, and I don't yeah. remember who collected all this information. But kudos uh, I know to John Carroll posted it. I saw that. But yeah. well, we'll give John credit because they rule. So let's let's go through this. This is a general synopsis of everything that SAP has um, SAP has reported and done, and he spoke a lot with CM Punk, and we'll kind of go through it and we'll react. Says he's been in contact with Punk for months and months. Sometimes I get answers. Sometimes I won't. Obviously, a contacts within his camp, you know, people like Cash and Dax, like those who are close to him, and that he he had broken numerous stories about Punk because of that. Says he and Punk mutually hate talking to each other. It's stressful for him. It's stressful for Sean Ross Sapp, etc. There have been times where Punk had been very open, including, I hate this place. That's a quote. Uh, first time was getting that they talked was getting his side of brawl out. Reiterates that he had never spoken to the elite. Outside of an interview, meaning Sean Ross Sapp. The vibe he got from Punk is he was apologetic for the scrum, but not to blame for the brawl. He got Punk's side of the Jack Perry incident, and not many people backed it up, which is what we have been hearing across the board. He yeah. sent him a congratulations uh, about CM Punk's Cauliflower Alley Award. Punk was the happiest uh, he had ever encountered after the Jack Perry fight because I think he knew he was getting canned. That, that's my speculation. He hasn't heard from him since Wednesday. Saw an interact that was the cauliflower alley award. Saw an interaction between Mox and Punk at the airport, which suggests they still have major heat. Wouldn't give Sean Ross that massive scoops, but would air his grievances. So kind of like just an ear to talk to. Sean doesn't believe he was trying to get fired, but didn't care if he did. Uh, he says it was clear by talking to Punk, and it's clear he talked to Hausman. Mike Johnson did a Scarcast panel. Isn't sure if they actually talked. Infers that most of the stuff coming from Punk rather than FTR. Sean says there was one situation where someone tried to give him false information. Um, the person who wrote this believes that was FTR. Um, and the I think there was a similar issue with FTR giving uh, either Meltzer or Alvarez, Brian Alvarez, uh, bad information, I think. Wouldn't um, be shocking. If I recall correctly, but that's been quite a while now. Yeah. Um, lastly, he hasn't heard from him since. He did reach out and hasn't heard back from him, and he doesn't hear expect to hear back from him ever again. Yeah. Now, my question for you, because I am not a real journalism, uh, to quote uh, Fandango, is that um, 
in journalism, I what I what I've done as far as like reading about this because I've been curious about this in other instances in the past and related to wrestling is it sounds like there's basically two circumstances where it's considered ethical to burn a source to basically reveal that someone was giving you info anonymously, uh, and that's if the person giving you information either uh, either gives you bad like lies to you, it makes you look like an ass, or else they um, they give you information that they then take public, and that once they do that, you can say, yeah, it's, you know, this person that told me this information. And I, I don't think either of those really apply here, which is interesting to me. Uh, it seems like he would... Um... Now, I mean, it's not exactly the, the greatest puzzle in the world to figure out if, uh, you know, where all this information was coming from when they said the punk camp, like it was like one of two or three people probably two really because i can't imagine cash getting involved in that from all accounts uh, but it's i don't know it's kind of weird to me um what are your thoughts on that do you do you think this was ethical do you think it was the opposite of ethical it's it's riding a very fine line because you're not explicitly outing him as a source for specific things here um well actually he is so this is this is tough because what how is he gonna like i'm, I'm kind of tripping over my words here let's let's use this hypothetical if i were to have kurt cousins as a source and i have justin jefferson and tj hawkinson and i've kept their names confidentially the entire time. And then Kirk Cousins wrongs me. Let's say that. And then I go out and I just out everything Kirk Cousins has ever told me. Why the hell should Jefferson and Hawkins still trust me as a source? Why should they? Because I basically threw this other person under the bus. So in my opinion, this is a, a mistake by Sean Ross Sapp. He's not just saying, hey, I got... I, I have talked to Punk about about things. He has been a source for me. If you leave it there, okay, that that you're still outing a source, but you're not talking about specific instances. This is a lot of instances. Mm-hmm. And obviously he doesn't care about having Punk as a source moving forward. To no. me, it's about the integrity of your other sources. Why should they trust you and believe that they won't be outed at the same time? That yeah, that to that's, me is that's my question. biggest issue. Yeah, that's a hundred percent my question because to me, if you're like insert any other wrestler in the world, whether it be, and I'm literally just pulling names out here, Jordan Oliver, or if you're uh, Dustin Rhodes, or if you're uh, you know like Sears the Miz, like I'm just pulling random names here, a hundred percent random. If like you're any of those guys, and you're like, I would like to leak information X. I don't know why you would, after this, um, be like, yeah, I better go to Sean Ross Sapp. I'm sure he'll take care of my anonymity. I I don't know, man. Like, I under, I 100% can get why you would want to do this, because I can only imagine what talking with CM Punk is like. Um, especially when it's obvious that, like, he's using you to get specific information out there. But that's also part of the deal. Is it not that like part of 
reporting is like if someone gives you information to get out there, you know, part of your analysis is, well, one, will this make me money? You know, the five dollars, please aspect of things. But also it's the should, you know, should I run this? You need to do analysis on that. You need to, you know, is this newsworthy? And you should also like check if it's true is my and, and like, again, I am not a journalist. I, I consider what I do just analysis. I have absolutely no sources in wrestling. Like nobody talks to me and I'm OK with that. I just want to sit alone and watch whatever promotion I'm mainlining at the moment, I guess. Um, Listen, I, I want to preface this, and I don't know Sean Rossap. I've I've spoken to him once. It was a weird conversation. But overall, he seems like a good human. This is a very, very odd route to take when, based on everything that I've noticed, his business is getting scoops. Mm-hmm, 100%. Like, getting, like that's the thrust him. That's the this thrust is, of his business. This is wild to me where he's explicitly outing details like the right here. First time he got it, uh, they talked was getting his side of brawl out explicitly says that I don't know if he reported that he specifically talked to CM Punk at the time, but if he got Punk to talk as an anonymous source, that's an ethical red flag. The And spe- specifically saying it, especially afterwards if punk didn't give him permission to like use his name which we all know is an issue in wrestling journalism to begin with but as a journalistic ethics saying the vibe he got from punk like talking about details like that if you don't have permission to uh, actually out him as a source and you and he was speaking anonymously that's an ethical red flag now we don't know that punk said that you can use my name. But based on the tone of this and based on everything we've heard, my my instinct says Punk did not give him permission to explicitly use his name. That this is this has just got ethical red flags all over it. And if if your business is getting scoops, man, that's this is I wouldn't I would not go to a person who does something like this with information anonymously. I would not. And this is like, I think wrestlers still will because it's wrestling and the the ethics behind it are just so much different, but red flags everywhere. Yeah. This just felt uh, unusual to me. Um, so I thought that was noteworthy. Um, yeah. Um, we'll talk, uh, let's go through the rest of the news real quick. And then I want to get round back to CM Punk. Um, Jack Perry is still indefinitely suspended. Tony Khan confirmed that at the presser after all in all out. Sorry. Um, Christian has signed a contract extension. Um, hey, you know, you want to know why he signed a contract extension? Cause he's awesome. <laughs> because, because there wasn't a dad to stop him. Good lord. Where's Shad? L- listen, um, Christian is having the best run of his career, and we've said it multiple times. This is a very pro-Christian podcast. He Just rolls. Awesome. He's awesome. He's he wrestles in a, a cutoff turtleneck. He's in phenomenal shape. 
He's having great matches that are meaningful. And his promos are incredible. Like, this is... We've had issues with this company pushing guys who are older and not really focusing on young guys. They're using Christian now to work with young guys, and you can tell that Nick Wayne is probably going to join him at some point, and that can be huge because Nick Wayne can go in the ring. Odie, you can't drop your bone, you goober. Uh, but he he's just not – he doesn't have the television charisma for promos. Talking on a mic, you know who's going to learn that from? Christian. Yeah, that'll help. And push this guy to the moon, man. This guy rocks. Yeah, I, 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 right now I am leading Christian for my promo of the year. I think all this stuff's just fantastic, but that's uh, another conversation. I'm just glad he's sticking around. And, uh, you know, he did that presser full character, except for the end where he was still kind of in character, but he got a rip on people for uh, saying that he was a disappointing signing. And I, I want to say that I think I was not one of those people, but, uh, yeah, I mean, he rolls. So, yeah. Uh, early all-out pay-per-view numbers, uh, 100,000 plus buys, which is very good considering it was a week after the previous pay-per-view and uh, sold over or about 10,000 tickets for a gate of $800,000 per Tony Khan at that presser. Um, we're getting paper, uh, monthly pay-per-views. Um, and I think we've proven that uh, they're going to be successful because if you can get that many buys for a pay-per-view the week after all-in, then there's no reason you can't get decent buys on a monthly basis. No. Yeah. And it's, we, we talked about it last week as far as the financial aspect. If you get 750,000 buys over five pay per views, but you can get that to like 1.5 million or even higher over 12, you're making more money. And it, it, this, you're still making a lot of money off of live gates. Well, right now it's eh, not as much. But it's... I mean, 800K is still good for, you know, Chicago, obviously. Um, I am I guess my I'm inferring more towards Dynamite and Collision. Yeah, the weekly TV is rough. a problem. Um, that, yeah. That's definitely a weak point right now. It is, but... Uh, like, they're going to make money hand over fist. And the one thing that really stinks, and I think could hurt the television even more, is one of the benefits of these long pay-per-view gaps... Was you got like super dynamites where you had a title challenge, where you had like multiple belts on the line in one night, multiple big matches. I was at Quake at the Lake in Minneapolis, Darby Allen, Brody King in the coffin match. And then you had John Moxley defending the world title against Lionheart Chris Jericho. And CM Punk returned that night. Like you can have super shows. Well, those aren't going to happen much anymore with the tw- with 12 pay-per-views. If that ends up being the case, which we believe it is, it's trending that way. So, I don't know, man. It's To me, it's we're in an interesting spot. And this is we knew it wasn't going to last this way forever. It was going to turn into we-need-to-make-money company. And ho- I just hope a lot of the heart of AEW have still putting on great shows and keeping those in-depth storylines stays with, even though there's the pressure of having to do X, Y, and Z, but yeah, this is the direction it was probably always going to take. 
Yeah, it was inevitable once they had as much as much success as they've been having um, over the past uh, past couple years in general. Um, let's see. Collision rating uh, was awful for this past Saturday. Now, there are weirdos out there who are insisting it's because CM Punk left the company. And while that number turning off the TV immediately after finding out Punk was not going to be there was damning, I also think you can't underestimate just the impact of college football uh, returning as a real thing, not week zero. Um, and I think you're going to see collision being down in these numbers because all those previous episodes were not against competition that was as serious as college football. So that's just what's going to happen, and it's going to uh, eat it. You know, that's just the deal. It shouldn't be a surprise to anyone, and um, I'm sure Punk being gone won't help, but it's not, like, the primary cause, I don't think. I think it's, like, the second secondary cause. Yeah, Sunny Kiss... Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I'm good. Go ahead. Sunny Kiss is done with AEW because of uh, expiry of uh, her contract. I actually forget the preferred pronouns. I think it's either his or her. Sunny prefers both pronouns to my knowledge. Where yeah, it's but not, either, but not uh, they. Uh, he, him, or her, hers. I, yeah. I, I think she likes both. Okay, cool. I'll, I'll go with she, her for the purpose of this conversation. Um... They, uh, she left, uh, or Tony Khan, I should say, left the door open to a return, specifically signing Sonny, um, or sorry, uh, Stu Grayson. Uh, Sonny Kiss, I thought would have been a little more successful at the start of the promotion, but, uh, she was, I thought, pretty quickly, uh, eclipsed in terms of talent once they started making more and more signings, and there just wasn't enough improvement there to justify a bigger role. So she ended up in, you know, I actually was intrigued by that Joey Janela tag team they teased for a couple weeks and that they had on Dark for a while. Um, and then I guess they had a pretty decent feud on Dark that I don't think I ever actually watched any of because even I have my limits. Um, uh, but, you know, I you know I think she's charismatic as hell. Um, and uh, I just wish she was a better worker. It's, you know, I think there's actually a comparison here between... Uh, I think both Sunny Kiss and um, Big Swole have similar skill sets. Um, where I think if either had been given an opportunity to do more promos, they might have been able to get more stardom. But I also think that they really lacked the in ring uh, skills to break through. I, I mean, Kiss is obviously better than Swole, but like relative to the men's division, I think is the gap like Kiss to the average men's mm-hmm. worker compared with Swole versus the average women's worker uh, when they were, when she was around. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I wish nothing but the best for Sonny Kiss. I think she's really talented and uh, hope maybe, you know, opportunity elsewhere will uh, really help out. Yeah. that I think uh, Kiss is one of those individuals where at the beginning, good hand, but there just wasn't enough of a future there with how this company has evolved for them to really stick around. And especially with uh, losing out on dark where a lot of these people could stick around and still work. Um, Kiss could be a a really nice influx to the indie scene because there's, there's some talent there. I don't think it's a major league talent, but it's, Hey, this is a really good hand that should be a floating all over the indies kind of talent. And yeah, 
there's a lot of merit to that. And we wish Sonny Kiss the absolute best. And uh, Sonny is also just 29. Uh, so there's still time. Um, so, you know, I guess, you know, we'll see. No guarantees, obviously. But, you know, a uh, big improvement is not out of the question. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what else do we have for news, sir? We have uh, just a couple more notes. C.J. Perry, uh, Tony Khan said that C.J. Perry, a.k.a. Lana, uh, is not signed to a long-term deal with AEW as of now. Um, that made it sound like it was left open to uh, possible opportunities in the future. Um, so we'll see exactly what goes on with that storyline and Miro and the return of his of Hot and Flexible which I'm going to pretend is uh, CJ's ring name until proven otherwise. Um, and Bandito probably returns later this month per Dave Meltzer. Uh, he had surgery after an injury suffered back in, I want to say July against uh, in a match against Keshta. Um, but we hopefully will get Bandito back. Yeah. And that was actually back June 14th. June 14th. Uh, you can believe right. that. Hey, Getting Bandito back would be awesome. Bandito rules and is one of the young talents. I hope AEW really tries to focus on pushing here moving forward because there is a lot, a lot of really talented individuals. Let's let's talk about All Out, Fred. All right. Um, early numbers, 100,000-plus pay-per-view buys, 10,000-ish um, tickets for a gate of 800,000 per Tony Khan, and... Pretty good numbers considering that they they've kind of burnt Chicago out as a territory as a general whole, and this is this will end up being a great great show. Yeah, this show uh, was really damn good. Now the uh, the uh, pre-show was uh, not very good. Um, but it was, uh, once we got to the actual pay-per-view, especially the, uh, second half, um, of it, or I really should say the, uh, last two thirds, um, I thought it was awesome. Um, so, uh, what were your favorite parts of the show? Man, this show was great. Um, Honestly, I think my favorite part of the show is Ricky Starks finally got his match. He has that one match in the pantheon of this company where he can be like, yeah, I'm fucking here. This is, this is my great match. This is the time where I was finally able to show that I am one of the best in the world. And I'm not just somebody on the roster who's waiting for an opportunity. I went out there and grabbed it by the balls. Yeah. And he and Brian Danielson beat the ever-living shit out of each other. They were slapping each other in the face with that strap. They whipped each other mercilessly. And the finish, honestly, you, you know what that finish made me think of? It, 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 they did the Austin Bret Hart WrestleMania 13 finish. They did. Like, it, was, it was great, and Ricky was like, no. And he knew he was screwed. Because Danielson took a little bit, and he's like, oh, you can see in his face, it's just like, oh, no. And chokes him out. And he does, he just passes out. That's it. His facial expressions are always so great, and this was another example of that. 
just uh, and really. He, he slowly went out. He would not tap. And he cut a great promo on Dynamite saying basically the same thing. Look, this was a face turn for Ricky Starks after that little short heel run with him against CM Punk. This was great. This was everything it needed to be. This was a five-star match, hands down. I don't know where it's going to end on my match of the year list, but AEW is becoming a, a gimmick company. is not the right word. It's a gimmick match company. They have some of, like, the Tony Converse has the best dog collar matches of all time. The best war games matches of all time. They've created their own matches with Stadium Stampede, Anarchy, and Arena, which are have merged into kind of one and the same. And now they have the strap match. Would it have been better if it was a much better, like a better build? Sure. But it didn't have to be because it was Brian Danielson. And Danielson, the dragon, fighting for the honor of Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. That's enough. And these two made sure that you knew this was one of the best strap matches of all time. If not the best, because it's certainly in that conversation. This was everything. And Ricky Starks finally has that signature match. This isn't a moment company, but a signature match that defines how great he is as a professional wrestler. And I'm super, super happy for him. Yeah, this ruled. I I went. I actually didn't have any five star matches on the show. I you fucking coward! How dare you? I had three at four and three quarters, though. Um, oh my god, really? Including this you one, are yeah. a coward. <laughs> Look, if I if I watch the match and I have questions about it being five, then it's not five. That's just you know, that's the rule. Um, but yeah, I mean, I love this match, and I hope to God we can finally get past the. The stutter stepping with uh, Ricky Starks because he is tremendous. He's a he's a great worker and he is an ex- high level promo and uh, just charisma, uh, just like a bottomless pit of charisma. Just like every time he's on screen, he comes across like a star. And I would have pushed him harder, especially in the second half of last year. Um, I'm glad we're kind of getting there now. We just better follow up because we can't do this. Uh, let him go sit at home, bullshit, right? Uh, this is not the time for that. He he's gotta he's gotta get a push, and it's gotta be like a hard push. Um, and Make this collision the Ricky Stark show. Sure, center it around Ricky. You're not going to get get a complaint from uh, from me about that. Um, but Ricky Starks is awesome, um, and. You know, I mean, Brian Danielson is Brian Danielson. Of course, he's going to have an awesome uh, match, it's, it's, even if he's, you know, apparently he really favored his right arm, you know, uh, by which I mean, like, he didn't throw a strike with it the entire match, um, according to himself after in the presser afterwards. And, uh, you know, I mean, he could help anyone have a really good match, but this was a fantastic one and starts more than brought it that night. And, the, you know, every promo he's had the past couple weeks have um, they've been great. They've been fantastic. And I'm just really excited to see what happens next with him. Look, we've all known since Starks came into this company because of Cody and that he was going to be something. And I, I'm going to give Joe Lanza credit because I think Joe kind of discovered him before a lot of 
mainstream people like he always does. And it said that Starks was going to be a star. And that was when he was in the NWA. And obviously he knows that the, like his time in independent Texas wrestling, because Joe's been to a bunch of those shows and he has really grown and developed on television because there's a difference between having all the promo ability in the world and all that charisma, but he's developed it perfectly for television because it, it just is a little different. Instead of just talking to a bunch of people in a crowd, you're trying to talk to people in a television audience. There's nuance to it. He's figured it out. He's improved. He's 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 ready for that big push. If you were to strap him up in two months, I don't think anybody would complain about it because he's at that level right now. I'm so excited for him and his future, and we are all better for it being able to watch him every week. Yeah, this is... Uh... It's extremely. Uh, it's going to be extremely interesting to see just what happens next with him. Uh, what his next storyline is going to be, because you know he got he got the rug pulled out on him because of uh, CM Punk's antics. You know, and this is a guy who's, you know, due to a lot of things beyond his control, has been starting to stop at points in AEW's history. And uh, I think this was just a hundred percent what he needed to do to say, "Listen, I am that guy. Push me." Now, uh, speaking of guys who uh, who got over in losses, uh, Orange Cassidy, I think, was amazing in that main event uh, against John Moxley. I think he did uh, really a great job as like the face in peril, essentially. You know, the 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 guy who's been beaten down by wrestling too much and uh, immediately faces a guy who will absolutely kill him. Uh, when he's not at full strength, and he's not at full strength. So I love that match. Uh, I thought it was worked fantastically. Um, yeah, it was. I loved it. You had to do it this way. You did. You had to. I kind of talked myself into believing that you could have had him win that to help him out. But I think in the long term, this will uh, this will work better going forward. Yeah, it Orange Cassidy needed to lose this title. And I found it interesting that he came out on Dynamite this past week and explicitly said, they want me to go home. And I'm not going to. Nah, I'll be here. And then Mox comes out and he just stands in the middle of the ramp. And then Darby comes out with AR Fox and he and Darby kind of um, just look at each other. And I thought that was really interesting. Um, I don't know if that means anything, but Darby's kind of got his hands in a bunch of cookie jars right now. Yeah. Um, Darby is all over the place right now, uh, reaching uh, almost CM Punk levels of uh, ubiquity at this point. Um, so, yeah, I love that main event. And the other match I really liked was uh, Takeshi and Omega, which was just a really great wrestling match that those two had. Um, I, I, you know, I think the story is really good that currently Callis has Omega's number. Um, mm -hmm. And despite being what I thought was a, a fantastic match, uh, I thought it left some on the table for the next one, too. So that was really impressive to me. Yeah, it's... I think you have to push Orange Cassidy to the moon now. He has gotten over with the fans on an incredible level. 
He is turned himself into one of the best workers in the company. Orange Cassidy, the gimmick being I'm too good for this stuff. And he can't even do like a normal thumbs up because he's too lazy. And he got over with the kids. He got over with the crowd. And then he became the workhorse of the promotion starting last October 12th when he won the AEW International title from PAC. Impressive. Hey, who thought that Orange Cassidy would be the epitome of old school territory booking in this company? Raise your hand. Anybody? Yeah. Nobody? No? Yeah. Good on Orange Cassidy. Good on Tony Khan for really going through with this and going all out and building to this moment. There was a time during the match where I thought Orange Cassidy was going to win because Moxley was beating the everlasting piss out of him. But then Orange Cassidy just couldn't uh, do anything else, and he just did the defying double middle fingers. Mox picked him up and gave him that high-angle death rider, and then Orange Cassidy just kind of laid in the ring for five minutes. And they they faded to black with Orange Cassidy in the ring getting like trying to get up. Just phenomenal stuff. He is a main eventer in this company now. If, if you didn't believe it before, you... You should believe it now because there were plenty of people slapping five stars on this thing. I went four and three quarters because I didn't think the the story was phenomenal, but I didn't think the work quite matched up to a five-star match. Uh, yeah, I agree with that. Uh, I actually think it may have been uh, – I, I went four and three quarter on it as well. I thought it was a touch shy. Again, if it's not a – doesn't strike me as an instant five, then um, I don't go with it as a five. Um but, I mean, just the collection of people that uh, Orange Cassidy faced in uh, in these international titles, I think, are really interesting. You know, there was um, going back uh, the first, you know, just go, let's just go through the defenses. I'm just going to read them off real quick. Uh, number one against Rush and uh, 10 in a three-way. Um, number two was That against- is locker room, room leader, Roosh. That's right. We Roosh. have to be clear. Yes. Um, second was against uh, Luchasaurus and Ray Phoenix in a three-way. Um, Orange Cassidy against Shibata was third. And then Lee Johnson. Uh, Jake Hager, QT Marshall, Trent Seven. Uh, just, you know, in and out right there. Um, let's see. Trent Beretta, Kip Sabian, Jay Lethal, Lee Moriarty, Wheeler Yuta, Big Bill, uh, Jay Lethal, Jeff Jarrett, The Butcher, Drillistico, Buddy Matthews, Bandito, Daniel Garcia, Kyle Fletcher, Swerve Strickland, Daniel Garcia, Katsuyori Shibata, and Zack Sabre Jr. in a four-way match at uh, Forbidden Door. Um, Lance Archer at Battle of the Belt 7. A.R. Fox, Johnny TV, Wheeler, Utah. And Aaron Solo. Oh, and of course, Pinta uh, just a week ago on Dynamite. And then, of course, the loss to Moxley. Just what a collection of names there. Just like a really, and every match was at least good for the most part, I think. If not, you know, great. So. Yep. Great, great, great stuff, man. Um, I'm I'm thrilled for, for him. He that rain is never going to be topped in this company. It'll be it's, hard. I don't know if any of those matches were below three and a half. Most of them weren't below four. Yeah, Eclair, I know. I know you're <laughs> excited about Orange Cassidy, aren't you? Yeah. 
Uh, but it's I, – I just can't say enough good things about these guys. I just can't. You got to watch a player being on the mic. Nick Nemeth's going to burst in and start asking her who should go over in the main event of the next pay-per-view. Um, <laughs> well, Eclair is, you know, for those who don't know, we adopted her a couple months ago. She's a six-year-old French Bulldog, and she has some breathing issues because French Bulldogs, the flat faces, but she had the surgery to correct her nostrils. But when she plays, it it makes those breathing issues a little worse. So, um, But she, she's a good, good sweet girl. Yeah, um, I mean it's uh, it's pretty. You know, it's a fantastic run. Um, you know, and he's getting talk about uh, wrestler of the year. You know, like the in ring observer award. Um, and who can really? Um, I can't really say that that's a bad take. So, yeah. Um, let, let's talk about some of these other matches. Uh. Omega Takeshita. This match was for being feeling like a blood feud kind of match. Started off really methodical, and normally I have issue with that. I kind of liked it here for the fact that Omega knew that Callus was in his in Takeshita's corner, and he knew that he had to play it calm, cool, and collective because you knew. You absolutely knew that Callus was going to come in here. And I thought they set up the screwdriver distraction stuff brilliantly. Because if you noticed, Omega told Paul Turner to watch for the screwdriver. And then when he got him up for the one we angel, Paul Turner was able to grab it out right away. And that kind of ended that distraction spot. I thought it was very well done. It was placed really nice in the match. And these guys... Start off a little slow, but they heated it up at the end, and Takeshita just wins. I I thought that was important because you're establishing Takeshita as a big deal in this company. What better way to do that than beating Kenny Omega in a singles match? No many people have beaten Kenny Omega in a singles match in the last I don't know eight years, like twelve. 13? Very low number. It's like Okada, Tanahashi, Naito, Moxley, uh, now Takeshita, Toru Yano, Tomohiro Ishii, um, at Hangman Adam Page, Vikingo at Triple Mania, Vikingo. Like, you're you're talking like a small handful. Jay White. Christian Cage, I, I, if you bet, said him already, yep. I'm sorry. Christian Cage, uh, so we've got Pac. 11. Did Pac never beat him singles? Yeah, or he did. You, uh, AW. You, All out 2019. He did? Yeah, uh, passed out in the brutalizer, I think. Oh, okay. So we've got 12. And the most prestigious of all of those is Toro Yano, and I just of want course. that to be known. Yes. Um, Yano has never gotten his title shot, and that's a bunch of bullshit. I just I want that to be known as well. Um, look, you're talking 12 guys who have beaten this guy, him in a singles match over the course of like eight years, and there's probably a couple we're missing here and there. Michael Michael Elgin. <laughs> um, 13. Tug it so at the car. Uh, Cody. Oh, wait. 
Cody, all right, 14. Like, we're trying to find names. It's yeah. This guy doesn't lose singles matches, and it means something if you lose to him. Most of those singles losses, by the way, a lot of them, G1. Mm-hmm. Or world title matches. Uh, Juice Robinson and Ishii, going back through 2017, are the ones that we haven't said. Ishii, Tomohiro. I said Ishii. Oh, well, Ishii there you go. beat him in the 2018 G1, got a title shot out of it. Destruction. Yep. And beat him in the first round of the 2017 New Japan Cup. Yep. Look, it's a big deal to beat Omega. And that's a huge feather in his cap. Now, where do we go from here? We're going to get something. We're gonna. I think we're going to end up getting a trilogy here. And I can't wait. Because Takesha is starting to come into his own as a an American wrestler. Because, look, style is different here. Oh, Hungy Cat rung in. All right. Yeah, we've got the yeah. dogs. we got the cat. Everybody's here to celebrate the the um, demise of CM Punk. It's it, <laughs> Wait, did, didn't die. <laughs> I'm really excited, Fred. This is the way Takesha's going. He could be a world champion in two, in two years. Like, within storyline, he's not going to go to the top right away. Because he's dealing with this, and obviously MJF and Adam Cole have their thing. But within two years, I think it's very plausible. They're setting him up for a big, 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 big push. Yeah. Um, I mean, he's another guy that I think uh, really benefited from the show. Although I'm going in, going to say, have a hot take here, I guess. Uh, it Ooh. kind of feels... It kind of feels like maybe he didn't benefit from that match quite as much as uh, as Don Callis did. You know, I feel like Don Callis may have uh, benefited a little more from that win than uh, Takeshita, even though it was a clean win, you know, relatively speaking. Um, I don't know. Maybe that's a bad take. Maybe that's just a bad read. But I don't know. It kind of feels like maybe he didn't get the boost one would have expected off that. Yeah, it's. I don't know. I, I don't know if I necessarily agree with that, but it's it's a good take. What else do we need to talk about with this show? Um, Beef. I, we got to talk. We got to oh, talk meat. I'll, I'll be honest. It's the only match on the show I haven't watched yet. You haven't watched the meat match yet? Oh man. Um, no. Um, well, dude, it's Vikings opening week, baby, and I, I'm gonna. I need a vent. Chromecast sucks. Um, I, I don't know what the deal is. I have these 4K Chromecast, and they won't cast anything from my computer, and it's so dumb. So I'm using my computer for work, and I, I can't watch anything on my TV because of it. It's It sucks. I, uh, I may have a solution for you. Uh, there's this app. I'm not going to plug them on the air. What am I doing? Uh, they can hit the bricks. Give us money if you want to get plugged. Oh, I'll talk with you afterwards. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, um, I, I loved Miro and Hobbs. I'm probably the high person on the planet on it, but I went four and three quarters on that too. I just love big guy okay. mean matches, and um, this was 100% that. You know, some people are down on it because of the crowd and kind of like them doing. I guess a bit of a meme bit with it, but frankly, the match I thought worked so well that it uh, 
was better than that. So, um, yeah, I, I love that match. Uh, just Nero and Hobbs throwing each other all over the place. And, um, yeah, great stuff, I thought. Yeah, and it's – I'm going to watch it here today because I got so much work done while watching Dynamite last night because it – of week one and I just have to really play catch up. I did and a plug here. I did a three hour NFL intelligentsia with Joe Lanza for the voice of wrestling Patreon. You should go check that out. It was, it was a lot of fun. And we, we started off talking about sicko college football because of course we did, but yeah, we, we spent three hours talking about the NFC and it was, it was a really good time. Um, I think we have to talk about MJF and obviously MJF and Adam Cole beat, um, the Beaver Boys, John Silver and Alex Reynolds. But it was afterwards, MJF, you know, and MJF did the hurt gimmick where he they take him out because he's got a hurt neck and he comes back and they end up winning the match. But he's they're leaving, and guess whose music hits? Samoa Joe. And Joe's just walking in the ring and pushes MJF and just has the biggest smirk on his face. And if you remember. MJF was one of the security guards um, at that uh, N- NXT show. I think it was was it NXT Brooklyn where Samoa Joe was defending the NXT title, and he pushes yeah, him Brooklyn. into the wall. Yeah, and then MJF goes and confronts him in the ring, and they they start exchanging uh, like blows, and then of course Samoa Joe gets him in a guillotine, which apparently is what CM Punk put Jack Perry into. And this is just great stuff, man. I, I love this. Yeah, I, I like that angle a lot. And I liked what they followed up with it on uh, Dynamite pretty well. I think that went a little... Um, Samoa Joe little is a perfect long. pro wrestler. Yeah. If you had to create a, a the perfect pro wrestler, it would be Samoa Joe. Like, I was told for years it was Randy Orton. I've never been a big chin lock guy there. I got to own up to that. Uh. Well, if you want somebody who's going to work to your style so you he can get pats on the back after the match, oh, go get Randy Orton. Absolutely. <laughs> but no, it, it's it's Samoa Joe. He's built like a, a, a tank. He can do high spots. Well, maybe not so much anymore, but he used to be able to do great high spots. And puts you in submissions, and he can do power. He can do a little bit of everything. Plus, he's charismatic as all hell. Yeah, he is. Um, Joe rules. And, you know, I think, you know, he's not he's past his peak, obviously, in the ring. But as far as, like, the personality aspect of things, he's really good at being, you know, Samoa Joe as a serious, you know, title guy. So, um. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, just great stuff. Okay, Claire, go get some water, honey. There you go. Um, but overall, this show was just awesome. And Joe Shane Taylor was good. The women's match was good. The baseline for the show was like three and a half. Yeah. I feel like that's pretty good. I, I went like three and a quarter for the world tag team title match. Like the, the, I'm sorry, the uh, better than you baby one, the ring of honor one. Uh, but everything else, I went three plus five, 3.5 plus on, on the actual show. 
that's hey, you know what? That's not bad. That's not bad. Anything else we need to cover from all out? Because I think we've hit all the major talking points. I think we did. I think we covered all out. Uh, you want to talk a little more CM Punk? Like, you know, where do you think? I, I guess I should ask you. Um, you know, I, I want to ask you. Uh, do you think overall CM Punk was a benefit or uh, a you know hindrance to AEW as a company overall? Right now, a benefit. We'll see about it being a hindrance because it, CM Punk brought more eyes to to this company than they could have generated on their own as quickly as they did. And Punk had some great matches. The dog collar match with MJF was my match of the year last year. And he delivered in some high spots. He delivered great promos. He was a box office draw in a big way, both in television ratings and in gate sales. But how much will his impact and how he treated people and how the company has grown both positively and negatively since he joined, how is that going to impact things moving forward? That is a... We don't know. And I think it's a benefit so far, but I'm willing to change my mind. Yeah, uh, I think there's still, you know, I think there's a lot of negatives, obviously. I think he uh, he really was not worth it um, the last few months, honestly. Uh, you can say that... Uh, you know, Collision may not have got as high of ratings without him. They may not have even got Collision without him, um, which is fair. Um, I think the creative on Collision, uh, the past four weeks or so prior to the, you know him getting suspended and then fired, was pretty awful um, because it really started to feel like the old, old the old Simpsons um, Poochie joke, where you know the cartoon within the cartoon, itchy and scratchy, gets that character added uh, Poochie. He was supposed to be cool and hip and appealing to kids and gets plastered all over the, the show. And at one point, you know, the executives of the show say, we want characters to be asking when Poochie's not on screen, hey, where's Poochie? And I feel like that's what CM Punk was on the last month of Collision. Like, it really got to the point that, like, CM Punk was, you know, when we talk about, like, Adam Page being the protagonist of the company, we mean, like, he's the most important guy in the company at that point in time but cm punk mm. is now um you know he was like the protagonist of the show in the sense that like people couldn't exist without circling around him and it drew a lot of people into that orbit and it felt like that they would just you know it was like practically a uh 1986 hulk hogan push you know like you know just like the mega baby face that heels would the heel of the week would run into and die you know and lose against them and we got these like really long, you know, multi-man tags involving Punk that really felt like house show main events more than anything that would, you know, like met the AW standard of match quality. So I think, you know, just over the last month plus that him being gone will improve the creative of the company. And we also get rid of this nonsense with the soft brand split where people had to be you know on the it's okay for them to be here list yeah i, I i'm excited about the the soft brand split being gone uh, um this 
we're going to maybe see the Elite on Collision, which I think is objectively a good thing. Yeah. Like, this is him, CM Punk being gone is going to open the door for so many people. And I'm personally excited for it. Yeah, and the crazy thing I always thought about the the brand split, such as it was, is that it was such a small number of people that were getting featured every week on Collision. That it felt like, like it was it was Punk, Starks, Joe, FTR, uh, Bullet Club Gold, and then you know Chris Statlander and Diamante and Mercedes Martinez, um, and Willow Nightingale. So like, there's 13 people. It felt like it was just them that were going to be on the show with any regularity. Uh, and compared to what AEW usually is, where it has like a really wide group of people and you don't necessarily see like guys every week. In fact, you may not see Adam Page for months on end, though that's a bad, bad thing. Um, which kind of got a uh, spotlit a little bit last night in that segment with Swerve. Um, yeah, man, I, you know, I thought this was, I think this will be good long term, just in terms of creative for the company. Does that mean that it'll be as effective as a brawl? It may not, because CM Punk was still a star. But I also think he was constantly undermining his own ability to draw with all this drama. And the way that drama gets reported now is not like it was in 1996 or mm-hmm. whatever. Everyone's online, everyone has access to uh, wrestling news, even if they aren't specifically. Um, looking for it you know i don't know even people that aren't going to like f4w online or fightful or whatever um they aren't going to necessarily get correct information but it's impossible for them to escape this uh you know the fact that uh this you know some version of it is getting reported um so i think that's just uh I think he was rapidly decreasing his his value as a draw, and I think if he had kept, stayed around any longer, you know, might have got to the point where it was an obvious case of the negatives outweighing the positives. I mean, arguably already was, but just like even a blind person could see it, you know, like that blindingly obvious. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Punk is his own worst enemy by every metric imaginable and yeah. it's just i'm gonna be so happy when we're done talking about this guy because it there's just oh my goodness oh my goodness i i, I can't <laughs> i'm gonna lose my mind fred i'm gonna lose my absolute <laughs> mind and yeah i'm i'm i got nothing yeah I mean, I, I, it's, it's still really interesting, I think. Uh, not really in a good way, but it's interesting. Um, the, you know, and the thing with him is, you know, it's amazing how fast he burned through goodwill. You know, in, I think we talked about this a little bit last week, but what really shocked me about All Out in particular is that, you know, outside of one short moment right after the Young Bucks entrance, there was not a single CM Punk chant or anything along that line, those lines that had that I could hear on TV. Uh, there may have been some short lived ones in the building, and it sounds like that was the case, but they quickly got shut down by other people. And only when, like, the people that were most associated with, you know, the opposite, you know, the, on the other side of CM Punk's drama were on screen, was there any kind of like reference to him from the fans. And I think that's really damning because, 
it's in Chicago and Chicago is, you know, he's arguably the last regional star of wrestling, you know, with that kind of ability to pop one specific market to a high level. And he just, I think he just exhausted everyone, you know, not just the people he worked with, but the fans. Uh, and, you know, I, it's very astonishing to me. It's kind of impressive, you know, not in the good way, but it's impressive. Yeah. Impressive. I think it's a really nice word for it. I'm trying to think here, Fred. Um, is there anything else that we need to talk about? Need no. I mean, Dynamite last night I thought was a fine show. Like, you know, like everything on it was close to three and a half stars, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I oh, I have... will say my favorite gimmick was Roderick Strong wins his quarterfinal match and the kingdom rushes in to put the neck brace on. <laughs> yeah, that was a, that and, and the... Um, you know, they, they, the headshot of him with the glasses and neck brace on to hype the match with Trent. Um, breaking Taz, I think the first time popped up in particular was great. Um, just absurd. Um, I kind of like it, but they still like, I still kind of hate that they made him look like a total geek to get here. But, you know, now we got him outright acting like a heel. So, okay. Um, yeah. Uh, I, Emmy Sakura should be put on TV more. She's obviously better than like Sky Blue or whoever. Um, like a, a fair number of the women's division. Um, the idea that um, you know that she doesn't get anything at all typically is really sad. I think, and the fact that uh, that match was as good as it was in just like four minutes was really impressive. I thought. Um, so hopefully we'll get more of, uh, get more of her on TV. I'm not very optimistic about it, but I hope they do. Uh, and I think that's really more or less it as far as big takes. I think the, the thing with Emi Sakura, um, one, uh, Soraya tweeting at her that she'll never get Freddie Mercury was great. (laughs) And two, Emi Sakura actually being at Wembley and recording herself crying in the crowd while we will rock. He was playing. Yeah. Oh, good, good, good. God. Was that great? Um, it's taking what you have available to you and working it into Canon. I like kudos to these two. They're just great stuff. Great stuff. Um, we thought we were going to go a, a couple, three hours here today talking about all the CM Punk stuff, but Punk really overshadowed a lot of everything else that happened on the pay-per-view. And uh, it's going to be a little bit of a shorter show today, but we are going to make sure that we're here covering everything else, all elite wrestling for you moving forward. And we're just glad to be rid of CM Punk. Super glad to be rid of CM Punk. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at Good Bad Hungy. Follow Fred on Twitter at uh, Flagrant Wrestling. No, nope, Twitter's dead. Oh, you not. did kill your Twitter? It's still there, but like, and I barely use it. But I, I'm just sick of the gross website. Um, yeah. Well, I'm still on there at the Real Forno because it's a, a good part of what my profile is as a sports journalist. And you can find us both on Blue Sky. And woo, Blue Sky. I've I don't think I've logged in in like over a week. So, I know, I know, but but 
it, maybe it'll catch on. Who knows? Hopefully, it's not the next Google Plus. I love yeah. Google Plus, but it just didn't happen. Um, and we'll be back next week to talk more All Elite Wrestling and give you a, a from a Grand Slam preview for everything that we know. Until then, good riddance, CM Punk. Peace out, everyone. Have a good day. Hi, I'm Case Lowe, co-host of the Open the Voice Gate podcast. The one question I'm constantly asked when it comes to Dragon Gate is how do I get into the promotion? Well, stop asking and start listening to the Open the Voice Gate podcast released every Wednesday on the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. For exclusive news and show reviews, look no further than the leader in Dragon Gate coverage, Open the Voice Gate.